do. Greetings, Earthlings. I'm Jose Santana. And I'm Apollo Black. And this is Consumed by TV. Podcast that brings you breakdown, Easter eggs, and hidden gems you might have missed at first glance. On today's episode, we will be, uh, we will be discussing Moon Knight. The Marvel's Disney Plus original series, Moon Knight, a Marvel TV show. And if you don't know, you won't know. Moon Knight is a show. Okay, so let's get right into it. A show on multiple personality or multiple. Um, up, up, oof, this is going to mind block me. Multiple personality disorder. A He has a mental disorder. Where he has multiple personalities or multiple personas inside of his head. He is also the main character, Mark Spector, a mercenary who is possessed by the deity, the moon god, Kanchu. Um, we follow the story of Stephen Grant, who is played by uh, Oscar Isaac. Wonderful, wonderful choice, by the way. Um, and the show over premieres every Wednesday. Yes, for us, it's 3 a.m. California is 12, so it comes out tonight, basically. As we're recording this episode, it comes out tonight. We, we will be watching it tonight, tomorrow-ish, and then I'll be writing down what I need, but I already started writing down stuff for episode two as well. So, spoiler warnings before we get started. If you have not seen episode one of Moon Knight, stop what you're doing right now. Go watch it, then come back. We'll be waiting for you. All right. Anyway, while they're gone and watching that, let's get into it. Are you ready? ready. Any questions by far? Well, yeah, you know, I'm still confused on the who's who and who's really who. All right. I might be able to answer it when I do the breakdown. All right. So we start off with the intro of the show and it kicks off with uh, the introduction of Arthur Hera or who is the villain of the show. And the song playing in the background is Bob Dylan's Every Grain of Sand. Now, uh, remember what? Remember this for a, for a, an extreme detail because uh, when we're introduced to Arthur Hera, um, he's playing the song playing "Every Grain of Sand" is um, a metaphor or a reference to um, the meditation ritual that he's doing in the scene. Um, we see that he has scales tattooed on his arm, and the scales are in the form of crocodiles' heads. And um, one side is uh, always heavier than the other; the scales tip. And then when we see, when we see him reach out and extend his arms later. Uh, the staff that he holds too, as well, has crocodiles' heads on it. Um, this is a sign of the deity Amet. Amet is a deity in Egyptian mythology who was beside Anubis when there was a judgment on the dead of the souls of the dead. Um, he has the face of a crocodile, the front legs of a lion, and the hind uh, quarters or the hind, the back leg, and the, and the butt of a hippo. Um. The song, Every Grain of Sand, it was recorded by the uh, artist Bob Dylan, who recorded the song after he became a born-again Christian. Um, the reason for that is because Arthur Hera portrays a um, a religious um, zealot, uh, somebody who follows and believes in the, the, the true way and the true judgment of Amit. Um, we see him crush glass and put it into the sandal, his sandals. That is a reference to an actual meditative state that, like walking on glass, but him putting it into his sandals means that he's hiding it from the, uh, the world to see. Um, he's walking in pain as so nobody can, under- that nobody will understand what he's going through. Um, it's also a reference to 
how Bob Dylan saw the fury of the master's hand in every particle and grain of life forms um, in nature, the same way Ahmed sees every grain of sand in Ahmed's judgment on the people that he judges um, when their time comes. Every and it's it's portraying how he is trying to be close to the sands of Egypt by him breaking down the glass and stepping on the glass. He's turning glass back into sand. Him being one step closer to the sands of Egypt or being one with himself as the religious zealot he is. Um, when we speak about Ahmed, we also have to speak about Anubis. And Anubis is the deity, uh, the Egyptian deity of the dead. The judgment. He is a judgment. He would judge your soul on a scale, your heart on one side and a feather on the other. If your heart was lighter than the feather... You were allowed to go into the afterlife to into the the boat and to flow into the uh, the, the reeds along the night or along the river. If your heart was heavier than the feather, then you were fed to Amit, and you were meant to suffer for all eternity because you didn't follow the life way of um, uh, Maat, which is the basically like life, uh, life, liberty, justice, and the pursuit of um, like the way you live in prosperity in Egyptian mythology. Or from at least what I've picked up and read. I'm not I don't know everything about Egyptian mythology, but from what I've read and the main points of it, uh Ma'at was just basically you believed in um balance, the way of life, and you you, you didn't break from that. And if you did break from that, you would be eaten and fed to a, a Ma'at. Uh, or Emmet. Um Yeah. Um, the title, oh, and so, okay, remember the Easter eggs I told you about the title cards when you watch either the movies or the show to always look at the title card when it says Marvel? Okay, well, in the title card, they added the Eternals for, in the Moon Knight, they added the Eternals to it, and where Spider-Man was at, because he was removed during the Spider-Man movies, because he was the last movie that came out before Moon Knight, um, his, the picture is now back on Rocket, so Rocket is back in the Marvel title again, so it's Rocket and the Eternals. And the reason Spider-Man is not there is because he can only appear in live-action movies that Sony approve of. And this wasn't, you know, this wasn't a Sony-approved movie, or this wasn't, this is the half Spider-Man in it. Um. Uh, now we go into the next scene, or the, uh, the main part. We get introduced to Stephen Grant, <coughs> who is the hero or the... The, the main character of the show. The song playing in the background is by uh, Ingo, I can't pronounce the name. Uh, Ingilbert Humperdinck. And the song is A Man Without a Love. And the song is actually a good, another uh, like reference to the people, the people in the show. It's a reference to how he wakes, uh, it's, or, or the song is about a man who wakes up and realizes that every day he is alone, that he doesn't have somebody to love with him. And every day life goes on he doesn't or can't find nobody he can't find that love so he's always alone and when we wake up um we see that or we know what watching throughout watching the show steven or the person we think is steven um doesn't have a love either he doesn't have a love life and when he tries to go on a date he can't go on the date because he can't make it he wakes up on two days later he's alone and he feels the same way as the song is playing it also references the song, um, the line, um, sorry, the line where he says now, um, the moonlight is now shown in the way. It's also linking to like how Kanchu now is 
possessing this body and the moonlight he show uh the moonlight he bestows on to Mark Spector slash Stephen Grant is now the power that is enveloping him. Sorry, excuse me. And that's basically the first line that was sung and the third line that was sung. Stephen Grant, because um, now I'm probably going to answer your questions. Here we go with this. If you can't remember, Stephen Grant is actually in the comic books is actually the is the number two is identity number two. I'm sorry with my words is identity number two to Mark Spector. Mark Spector is the main host. He is a mercenary. He is born in he was born in Chicago and he is Jewish. Mark Spector. Stephen Grant is the identity we see or wake up to that is in the body now who is in control. He in the comic books was a billionaire. Um but was changed due to the res- the resemblance and closeness because of Batman. So when Moon Knight first came out back in the day, everybody thought he was like the Marvel version of Batman. And so they changed that now to being something different to him being a museum um sales sales merch salesperson. I like I, you know he just works in the museum. He's not a guy, he's not a tour, he's just sells you some merch. Um um, I apologize. Oof, I really need. We get. We're, I'm gonna get better at this. Now, um, Stephen wakes up, and we get to a scene where Stephen wakes up, and we see the books over his head, and the books are basically like it says: world history, architect, Pompeii, agent, uh, agent, Egyptian mythology, um, and they're all placed above his head as a reference to how his dreams always take him back to these places. His dreams always take him back to Egypt. He can't escape that reality of what's going on and the books above his head during when he's sleeping and when he's awake are assigned to how he can't break away from the illusion he doesn't know why this is so close to him or why this ties to him we say later uh in the same scene that um because if you see in the trailer footage that he's always playing with a rubik's cube when he's in the bed when he wakes up in that scene in the background the rubik's cube is completely solved but later that night when he's in bed trying to stay awake again he's solving the rubik's cube which led me uh to like think that when he falls asleep mark specter wakes up and solves the rubik's cube just to mess around with him or to keep him in the loop that maybe i solved it before i went to sleep i don't remember so now i have to remember what like i have to unsolve it and solve it again to, to know if i did it mark specter is keeping stephen grant in a loop that way he can't break out or find out that this isn't his real reality like this is not his real life his life being controlled because he's not a in my in my thoughts he's not a real person he's just a and i know this is bad because when somebody has a a mental disorder like with personal personal uh multiple personalities you're not allowed to call them personas um because then it leads to think that each persona has an actual life identity and that's what's being portrayed here that stephen grant has his own life but that's not real we don't know if it's real because Stephen Grant himself is an unreliable narrator. And I, we can see that through all the reflections we see through the entire episode. Um, he's strapped he's strapped to the bed and around his um around and I don't think anybody really notices, or maybe you have nobody's talked about it, but I haven't seen it anywhere. Everybody keeps saying there's a circle of sand around his bed. And if you actually pause that frame and look at it. The sand ends at the dresser and ends at the corner of the other dresser. It's in the shape of a crescent moon. 
Like it's, it's it's even small on one side and big in the middle and then small again. It's literally in the shape of a crescent moon. And what we see in the next image is his bare foot in the sand, which is a reference to him being the actual close one to the sands of Egypt. He is closer than anybody, even Arthur Hera, to the sands of Egypt. Why? Because he's also being controlled by the deity of the moon, Khonshu. We don't, but as the watcher, we don't know that yet. Um, as security measures, he puts some sand up and there's tape around the door, a bunch of all this. He does this for as a security measure for himself because he sleepwalks and he doesn't know, or he thinks he's sleepwalking, but he doesn't know why. And so he put all this to keep track of himself. And somehow he still hasn't figured out that it's not even him. It's something else happening to him. I don't know if you picked this up, but uh, the, uh, the his goldfish in the tank is called Gus. It might be a reference or a, uh, a sh short abbreviation for sarcophagus because everything about him is Egyptian. So his his goldfish is actually named sarcophagus. And it's a reference to Nemo because he has one fin. But because of that reference to Nemo, the fish is always swimming in a circle, an endless loop. How Stephen Grant's life is always an endless loop for him. He is in a complete circle. He can't figure out what's real and what's fake. So he keeps going in this circle, repeating the same routine over and over and over again, going crazy. Just like how the fish in the fish tank is going. Also in the fish tank, you see a the pyramid. And I assume it's the Pyramid of Giza. We don't know what pyramid it actually is. It's just a pyramid. I assume it's the Pyramid of Giza. Then we see King Tut's head. I think is maybe he's going a little too far because I watched Loki a thousand times. But I think it's a reference that King Tut's head is in there. I think it's a reference to Raman Tut, who is Kang the Conqueror, who was also a Egyptian pharaoh back in the day. So I think it's a reference to him, and we could see him somewhere maybe as one of the avatars for one of the gods in when we get to meet the other gods when they come up. And then you see um, the boat, which is in the new promo footage for the new episodes coming out. And then you see an Egyptian obelisk, which has a bunch of hieroglyphics on it. Um, we see him talking on the phone and we don't know who he's talking to per se but he says that he's talking to his mom now if Stephen Grant let's just go with this is not a real identity he's not talking to his mother he is talking to no one on that other line meaning Mark Spector set up a bunch of inboxes and voicemail box systems and a bunch of stuff to set to trick Steven and to keep going to believing that he has a mom who never answers the phone. He's always missing her somehow. And then he says, I keep getting your postcards and posting it up on, on Gus's uh, tank now. Later in the scene, you see a rack of postcards as he's entering the museum. I think Mark is taking the postcards from the museum, sending them, and then sending them to him, thinking he's getting them from his mom. But another way for Mark to keep Steven in the loop, a never-ending cycle of him being never knowing what's real um then we see uh he he says uh bye uh as he's saying bye to his mom he says later gator and that's a missing detail because at the beginning of the show we get crocodiles crocodiles and gators are two different species but also because the crocodile is the one that's going to be judging uh steven later in the episode there's no alligators in 
Egypt or here as we're here, but the one going to judge uh, Stephen is a crocodile. Uh, all Stephen's friends, as we see, because he doesn't really have friends, he just has small acquaintances. Anybody who he, anybody who he can truly open up to, doesn't have a speaking role. So, like, if you see him talking, for example, uh, him talking to the statue guy, the guy in gold who can't move. If you watch, if you look at the end credits, the guy is uh, edited or credited as being Crawley. And in the comic books, Crawley was a homeless man who pretended to be an aristocrat to get news. He was an informant for Moon Knight. So I think he might be an informant for Mike Spector. He knows what's going on, but he doesn't know what's happening to Steve, like who the Steven guy is. And he just thinks it's weird that Mark is pretending to be, or like, you know, but I think he knows who Mark Spector is and who Moon Knight is. And he doesn't speak, but Steven can open up to him for some reason, tell him everything. And Steven feels like a connection to him because even though he's not speaking, somehow he's getting the answers that he needs. Yeah, that it's it's Crawley. So I don't know if he's gonna talk later on in the future and tell like Mark Spector something, but in the comic books, he he was basically an informant to Moon Knight, and he just pretended to be anything. Like if he can get his hands on a costume and fit that role and get information out of you, he got information and gave it to Moon Knight. The architect of the museum is an actual architect where the film was actually uh, the show was actually filmed at, and it's in Budapest. The museum is in Budapest. But it, when they edited it through the, before they did the final prepping, they changed it to look like the museum in the UK or England. So the museum that we're in isn't actually the Museum of London. It's the Museum of Budapest. I don't know the actual name. I just know that we filmed in Budapest and that's the museum they, that they took the architect from. <clears throat> we see our first reflection of the museum or we see the museum through the reflection of a puddle. And this shows us that the puddles in the show are going to be how Steven connects, not only connects to his other identities or other personas, but how through Steven's narration of the story, everything we see might not be 100% accurate because Moon Knight is supposed to not take like reference from, but it's supposed to be um, in theory, Indiana Jones and Fight Club. So in Fight Club, one of the main characters sees his best friend, but his best friend isn't there. His best friend's dead. So he keeps seeing the ghost of his best friend and telling the story. And when at the end of the movie, you actually find out that the person telling the story was the friend telling this and looking and seeing his friend dead because he couldn't cope with it. So us watching or listening to Steven I think everything we see through Steven's point of view or everything he says, we need to take with a grain of salt because it's not 100% true. Everything you see through that, because it's going to be a reflection of what's going on around him, isn't real. Like, he's there? Maybe. It's happening? Yes. Right now? No. If you can, like, follow what I'm saying there. Now, I thought the next scene was pretty weird and I think a lot of people especially talked about it uh, especially online uh, he sees a girl putting gum inside the pyramid and he starts talking to her and he's, then he directs her to like the, the sarcophagus and he tells her how uh, how um, they ripped your heart out and all your other organs out except for your heart through your nose that way you can be judged when you got to the afterlife and she says did it did it suck for you being rejected and not allowing to be entered to the the, the 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 field of reeds. 
And he says, well, that's odd because I'm not dead, am I? And then he says again really quick, am I? Which, so in the comic books, Mark Spector dies and then he is possessed by the deity Conchu. So in theory, we haven't found out what happens in the, like what happens to Mark Spector and how him and Conchu became one. But in theory, he is dead. He died. And maybe, yes, was rejected because Conchu possessed his body and then Stephen uh, Grant was created. So in theory, am I? Yes, he is dead. Mark Spector died. And Steven doesn't know this because Steven doesn't know what's going on because he doesn't know what's real and what's fake. So he doesn't know the concept of his death because in his time, he isn't alive or dead because he doesn't know that. That's why he's questioning, like, am I dead? But he doesn't know because he doesn't. He can't tell if he's awake or if he's dreaming, if he's dead, if he's alive, or if this is actually happening right now. All he knows is now this girl had triggered something in his identities or in his mind that is making him now think overanalyze everything um then he says to the girl something wicked is coming which is a line from Macbeth which foreshadows um evil encountering or evil being born within it so that is a reference to the jackal that we see coming up later in the episode and then it's also a line to the how everybody or how the episode keeps referring to chaos inside of him how there's a evil brewing inside of Stephen Grant but it's not it might not be him it could either be Conchu or it could be Mark Spector or another identity because in the comic books there was three identities there was Mark Spector then you had uh, Stephen Grant the billionaire and then you had Billy I forget his last name who was a cab driver and then you had a box uh, a boxer identity so we don't know how many identities per se are in their mind right now but so far, we only know of two. We know of Mark and we know of Steven. But it could be a reference to how there's evil brewing inside of him. There's evil inside of him. It's also a reference to how Aunt Macbeth, she says, um, by the prick of my thumb, something wicked this way comes. And she was speaking of Macbeth because they had created the monster inside of Macbeth. And they were speaking of how evil is now present in front of them. So now he's, that line, he's saying... He doesn't know it, but he's basically referring to there's evil right in front of him. The Jackal, Arthur Herrer, or something inside of him. Then we get to um, the next scene. And the next scene is Steven talking to his boss. And he picks up boxes full of like stuffed animals. And the, and the animals make out the deity Amet actually and the first box he picks up is a box of um teddy bears and it's a crocodile and the next one he picks up is a lion and the third box he picks up is hippos and that's the exact order of Amet's form crocodile lion hippo then he speaks about how the sign that they're promoting for the Egyptian um side of the museum is wrong because in real terms there are nine Inuit deities and on the pro on poster they said that it was seven, and the total the total of them is Adam, um, and then his kid Shu and Tefnut, then their kids Geb and Nut, then their kids Osiris and Set and Nephthys, and then their kid and sometimes they also mention Horus who is their son or their son, 
Um, but the picture is wrong because it mentions a uh, deity named Hathor. And Hathor, even though she's important, she's not listed in the main nine of the Inuits. Um, Hathor is the sky goddess, but in the comic books and in Egyptian mythology, she is the one that mates with Khonshu. And when they mate, they enable the ability of creation. So them, them together cause creation. So we can maybe look for her in the future and maybe something was going on between Kanchu and Amet and um, and Hawthor didn't like that and Hawthor betrayed Amet. So now Kanchu's getting revenge. I don't know. Maybe there is a love story behind all this. Maybe it's just in our minds. Um, but I don't know. So then we see, of course, the, the scene I was talking about. Um, Steven talks to the street performer, Crawley. Um, and he's telling him how he's, he doesn't understand what's going on, but he keeps, uh, sleepwalking and how his body feels like it needs to get the 10,000 steps. Excuse me. Um, and then we see that the scene that was just happening was a reflection because the scene pans out and it flips and a leaf lands in the puddle and we stay st stuck in the puddle until the camera pans up to Steven walking away. Everything we just saw in that scene might have been fake. He might have never been talking to Crawley to begin with. He might have just been like sitting there daydreaming or fell asleep. But we don't know if that actually happened because of why? It was through reflection. Now, we get to the scene where he's home. He's trying to stay awake. He's playing with the Rubik's Cube. He's listening to music. He's reading books. He's trying to do... Um, trying to do some stuff and he then we get to a scene where he picks up a book and he says it's it says the Inuit rift the 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 Inuit rift between God and man which sets up the uh, which sets up actually is a, a reference to Kanchu and the other nine deities or the other eight deities that might show up in the show and how it's their betrayal or their judgment against humanity like Mark Spector and Stephen Grant of the rift and the war that might be going on now for like because later in the series, uh, Arthur Hera tells Steven that someone hit her, Amit's avatar betrayed her and killed her or betrayed her and set her up for disaster. So we can see that not only is there a rift between humankind and gods, but there was also a rift between the gods themselves. There was something going on between the gods that caused this, that caused the avatar to turn on, the, to, on their deities. Um, in the back, the, yeah, in the book, um, in the book, as he's reading too, it also displays the list of Inuits in like out of order. It lists Osiris first and then, um, Neft at the bottom, but Osiris wouldn't be at the top because he's at the bottom. He's one of the children of the children. Um, and the book is out of order, which also might set up like, Steven reading this book and him not being able to understand what's going on because he's not a reliable narrator. So what he's seeing in the book is what he might be enveloping himself, what he might be telling himself because he's trying to figure out what's going on. He tosses the Rubik's Cube up in the air and then we, he wakes up in a field um, with a dislocated jaw and the Alpine Hill in the Alpine and the Alpine Hill. That scene was fucked up for me too. Like his jaw thing. Um... In the Alpine Hills with a scarab beetle in his pocket. 
um, Mark is the one when he goes to sleep, woke up, escaped the house somehow, traveled all this way, broke into this castle, stole this beetle, jumped out the window, and when he collapsed and passed the hell out, Mark woke back up. Uh, I mean, Stephen woke back up, and that's where we leave off for him. Um, and then we see that he wakes up, and inside of his head, um, Conchu is speaking to him, and it's played by F. Murray Abraham. And then... The, he looks at the Beatles and it has um, hieroglyphs on it. And we, I think it could either have a message pertaining to something, to where to find something, or a message of warning. But as of recording this today, I was watching some videos and they actually deciphered what's on the back of the beetle. Like actual Egyptologists decipher what's on the back of the beetle. Uh, in the next um, part of this podcast, I'll talk about it and I'll look, I'll look it up and see what they actually found out, what it actually means. Um, so as we can see if it's either a warning or a sign to something. Then, um, the shooters who were chasing him all speak English for some reason, which lets you know that these people aren't native to this land, but because they're, because they're part of Arthur Harris cult, they have taken over their land as their own, creating a community for themselves. Like how other cults do. They just come in and take land and create their community and infect everybody else and to join their cult. I'm Apollo Black. And this is Consumed by TV. Podcast that brings you breakdown, Easter eggs, and hidden gems you might have missed at first glance. On today's episode, we will be, uh, we will be discussing Moon Knight. The Marvel's Ooh. Disney Plus original series, Moon Knight. A Marvel TV show. And if you don't know, you won't know. Moon Knight is a show... Okay, so let's just get right into it. A show on multiple personality or multiple um up uh, uh, oof, this is gonna mind block me. Multiple personality disorder. A mul- he has a mental disorder where he has multiple personalities or multiple personas inside of his head. He is also the main character, Mark Spector, a mercenary who is possessed by the deity, the moon god Kanchu. Um, we follow the story of Stephen Grant, who is played by uh, Oscar Isaac. Wonderful, wonderful choice, by the way. Um, and the show premieres every Wednesday. Yes, for us, it's 3 a.m. California is 12, so it comes out tonight, basically. As we're recording this episode, it comes out tonight. We, we will be watching it tonight, tomorrow-ish. And then I'll be writing down what I need. But I already started writing down stuff for episode two as well. So, spoiler warnings before we get started. If you have not seen episode one of Moon Knight, stop what you're doing right now. Go watch it, then come back. We'll be waiting for you. All right. Anyway, while they're gone and watching that, let's get into it. Are you ready? Great. Any questions by far? Oh, yeah, you know, I'm still confused on the who's who and who's really who. All right, I might be able to answer it when I do the breakdown. Alright, so we start off with the intro of the show, and it kicks off with uh, the introduction of Arthur Hera, or who is the villain of the show, 
and the song playing in the background is Bob Dylan's Every Grain of Sand. Now, uh, remember what, remember this for a, for a, an extreme detail because uh, when we're introduced to Arthur Hera, um, he's playing the song playing Every Grain of Sand is um, a metaphor or a reference to um, the meditation ritual that he's doing in the scene. Um, we see that he has scales tattooed on his arm, and the scales are in the form of crocodiles' heads. And um, one side is uh, always heavier than the other. The scales tip. And then when we see, when we see him reach out and extend his arms later, uh, the staff that he holds too, as well, has crocodiles' heads on it. Um, this is a sign of the deity Amet. Amet is a deity in Egyptian mythology who was beside Anubis when there was a judgment on the dead of the souls of the dead. Um, he has the face of a crocodile, the front legs of a lion, and the hind uh, quarters or the hind, the back leg and the, and the butt of a hippo. Um, the song Every Grain of Sand, it was recorded by this uh, artist, Bob Dylan, who recorded the song after he became a born-again Christian. Um, the reason for that is because Arthur Hera portrays a um, a religious um, zealot, uh, somebody who follows and believes in the, the, the true way and the true judgment of Amit. Um, we see him crush glass and put it into the sandal, his sandals. That is a reference to an actual meditative state that like walking on glass, but him putting it into his sandals means that he's hiding it from the, uh, the world to see. Um, he's walking in pain as nobody can, that like, nobody will understand what he's going through. Um, it's also a reference to how Bob Dylan saw the fury of the master's hand in every particle and grain of life forms um, in nature the same way Ahmed sees every grain of sand in Ahmed's judgment on the people that he judges um, when their time comes. Every And it's, it's portraying how he is trying to be close to the sands of Egypt by him breaking down the glass and stepping on the glass. He's turning glass back into sand. Him being one step closer to the sands of Egypt or being one with himself as the religious zealot he is. Um, when we speak about Amit, we also have to speak about Anubis. And Anubis is the deity, uh, the Egyptian deity of the dead. The judgment. He is a judgment. He would judge your soul on a scale, your heart on one side, and a feather on the other. If your heart was lighter than the feather, you were allowed to go into the afterlife to into the, the boat and to flow into the, uh, the the reeds along the night or along the river. If your heart was heavier than the feather, then you were fed to Amit. And you were meant to suffer for all eternity because you didn't follow the life way of um, uh, Ma'at, which is the basically like life, uh, life, liberty, justice, and the pursuit of, um, like, the way you live in prosperity in Egyptian mythology, or from at least what I picked up and read. I'm not, I don't know everything about Egyptian mythology, but from what I read and the main points of it, uh, Ma'at was just basically you believed in um, balance, the way of life. And you, you you didn't break from that, and if you did break from that, you would be eaten and fed to a ama uh, or Emmet. Um. Yeah. Um. The title. Oh, and so okay. Remember the Easter eggs I told you about the title cards when you watch either the movies or the show to always look at the title card when it says Marvel. Okay. Well. In the title card, they added the Eternals for in the Moon Knight. They added the Eternals to it, and where Spider-Man was at because he was removed during the Spider-Man movies because he was the last 
movie that came out before Moon Knight, um, his the picture is now back on Rocket. So Rocket is back in the Marvel title again. So it's Rocket and the Eternals. And the reason Spider-Man is not there is because he can only appear in live action movies that Sony approve of. And this wasn't, you know, this wasn't a Sony approved movie or this wasn't, this is the half Spider-Man in it. Um, uh, now we go into the next scene or the, uh, the main part. We get introduced to Stephen Grant, <coughs> who is the hero or the, the, the main character of the show. The song playing in the background is by, uh, Ingr- I can't pronounce the name, uh, Ingilbert Humperdinck. And the song is A Man Without a Love. And the song is actually a good, another, uh, like, reference to the people, the people in the show. It's a reference to how he wakes, uh, it's, or, or the song is about a man who wakes up and realizes that every day he is alone, that he doesn't have somebody to love with him. And every day life goes on, he doesn't, he can't find nobody. He can't find that love. So he's always alone. And when we wake up, um, we see that, or we know what watching, throughout watching the show, Steven, or the person we think is Steven, um, doesn't have a love either. He doesn't have a love life. And when he tries to go on a date, he can't go on the date because he can't make it. He wakes up on two days later. He's alone and he feels the same way as the song is playing. It also references the song, um, the line, um, sorry, the line where he says now, um, the moonlight is now shown in the way. It's also linking to like how Kanchu now is possessing this body and the moonlight he show uh the moonlight he bestows on to Mark Spector slash Stephen Grant is now the power that is enveloping him. Oh. Sorry, excuse me. And that's basically the first line that was sung and the third line that was sung. Stephen Grant. Um, because now I'm probably going to answer your questions. Here we go with this. If you can't remember, Stephen Grant is actually in the comic books is actually the is the number two is identity number two. I'm sorry with my words is identity number two to Mark Spector. Mark Spector is the main host. He is a mercenary. He is born in he was born in Chicago and he is Jewish. Mark Spector. Stephen Grant is the identity we see or wake up to that is in the body now who is in control. He in the comic books was a billionaire um but was changed due to the res- the resemblance and closeness because of batman so when moon knight first came out back in the day everybody thought he was like the marvel version of batman and so they changed that now to being something different to him being a museum um sales sales merch salesperson. i like I, you know he just works in the museum he's not a guide he's not a tour he's just sells you some merch um, um, I apologize. Oof, I really need, we get, we're, I'm going to get better at this. Now, um, Steven wakes up and we get to a scene where Steven wakes up and we see the books over his head and the books are basically like, it says world history, architect, Pompeii, agent, uh, agent, Egyptian mythology. Um, and they're all placed above his head as a reference to how his dreams always take him back to these places. His dreams always take him back to Egypt. He can't escape that reality of what's going on. And the books above his head during when he's sleeping and when he's awake are a sign to how he can't break away from the illusion. He doesn't know why this is so close to him or why this ties to him. 
we say leader uh, in the same scene that, because um, if you see in the trailer footage that he's always playing with a Rubik's cube when he's in the bed, when he wakes up in that scene in the background, the Rubik's cube is completely solved. But later that night, when he's in bed trying to stay awake again, he's solving the Rubik's cube, which led me uh, to like think that. When he falls asleep, Mark Spector wakes up and solves the Rubik's Cube just to mess around with him or to keep him in the loop that maybe I solved it before I went to sleep and I don't remember. So now I have to remember, what, like I have to unsolve it and solve it again to, to know if I did it. Mark Spector is keeping Stephen Grant in a loop. That way he can't break out or find out that this isn't his real reality. Like this is not his real life. His life is being controlled because he's not a... In my, in my thoughts, he's not a real person. He's just a... And I know this is bad because when somebody has a, dis a mental disorder, like with personal, personal, uh, multiple personalities, you're not allowed to call them personas, um, because then it leads to think that each persona has an actual life identity, and that's what's being portrayed here. That Stephen Grant has his own life, but that's not real. We don't know if it's real, because Stephen Grant himself is an unreliable narrator, and I, we can see that through all the reflections we see through the entire episode. Um, he's strapped he's strapped to the bed and around his um around and i don't think anybody really notices or maybe you have nobody's talked about it but i haven't seen it anywhere everybody keeps saying there's a circle of sand around his bed and if you actually pause that frame and look at it the sand ends at the dresser and ends at the corner of the other dresser it's in the shape of a crescent moon like it's, it's it's even small on one side and big in the middle and then small again. It's literally in the shape of a crescent moon. And what we see in the next image is his bare foot in the sand, which is a reference to him being the actual close one to the sands of Egypt. He is closer than anybody, even Arthur Hera, to the sands of Egypt. Why? Because he's also being controlled by the deity of the moon, Conchu. We don't, but as the watcher, we don't know that yet. Um, as security measures, he puts some sand up and there, there's tape around the door, a bunch of all this. He does this for as a security measure for himself because he sleepwalks and he doesn't know, or he thinks he's sleepwalking, but he doesn't know why. And so he put all this to keep track of himself. And somehow he still hasn't figured out that it's not even him. It's something else happening to him. I don't know if you picked this up, but uh, the, uh, the his goldfish in the tank is called Gus. It might be a reference or a, uh, a sh short abbreviation for sarcophagus because everything about him is Egyptian. So his his goldfish is actually named sarcophagus. And it's oh, a yeah. reference to Nemo because he has one fin. But because of that reference to Nemo, the fish is always swimming in a circle, an endless loop. How Stephen Grant's life is always an endless loop for him. He is in a complete circle. He can't figure out what's real and what's fake. So he keeps going in this circle, repeating the same routine over and over and over again, going crazy. Just like how the fish in the fish tank is going. Also in the fish tank, you see a the pyramid. And I assume it's the Pyramid of Giza. We don't know what pyramid it actually is. It's just a pyramid. I assume it's the Pyramid of Giza. Then we see King Tut's head. I think is maybe he's going a little too far because I watched Loki a thousand times. But I think it's a reference that King Tut's head is in there. I think it's a reference to Raman Tut, who is Kang the Conqueror, who was also a Egyptian pharaoh back in the day. So I think it's a reference to him, and we could see him somewhere, maybe as one of the avatars for one of the gods 
in when we get to meet the other gods when they come up. And then you see um, the boat, which is in the new promo footage for the new episodes coming out. And then you see an Egyptian obelisk, which has a bunch of hieroglyphics on it. Um, we see him talking on the phone, and we don't know who he's talking to per se, but he says that he's talking to his mom. Now, if Stephen Grant, let's just go with this, is not a real identity, he's not talking to his mother. He is talking to no one on that other line. Meaning, Mark Spector set up a bunch of inboxes and voicemail box systems and a bunch of stuff to set to trick Steven and to keep going to believing that he has a mom who never answers the phone. He's always missing her somehow. And then he says, I keep getting your postcards and posting it up on, on Gus's uh, tank now. Later in the scene, you see a rack of postcards as he's entering the museum. I think Mark is taking the postcards from the museum, sending them, and then sending them to him, thinking he's getting them from his mom. But another way for Mark to keep Steven in the loop, a never-ending cycle of him being never knowing what's real. Um, then we see, uh, he, he says, uh, bye, uh, as he's saying bye to his mom, he says, later, Gator. And that's a missing detail because at the beginning of the show, we get crocodiles. Crocodiles and gators are two different species. But also because the crocodile is the one that's going to be judging uh, Stephen later in the episode. There's no alligators in Egypt or here as we're here. But the one going to judge uh, Stephen is a crocodile. Uh, all Stephen's friends, as we see, because he doesn't really have friends. He just has small acquaintances. Anybody who he, anybody who he can truly open up to doesn't have a speaking role. So, like, if you see him talking, for example, uh, him talking to the statue guy, the guy in gold who can't move. If you watch, if you look at the end credits, the guy is uh, edited or credited as being Crawley. And in the comic books, Crawley was a homeless man who pretended to be an aristocrat to get news. He was an informant for Moon Knight. So, I think he might be an informant for Mike Spector. He knows what's going on, but he doesn't know what's happening to Steve, like, who this Steven guy is. And he just thinks it's weird that Mark is pretending to be, or like, you know, but I think he knows who Mark Spector is and who Moon Knight is. And he doesn't speak, but Steven can open up to him for some reason. Tell him everything. And Steven feels like a connection to him because even though he's not speaking, somehow he's getting the answers that he needs. Yeah, that, it, it, it's Crawley. So I don't know if he's going to talk later on in the future and tell like Mark Spector something, but in the comic books, he, he was basically an informant to Moon Knight. And he just pretended to be anything. Like, if he can get his hands on a costume and fit that role and get information out of you, he got information and gave it to Moon Knight. The architect of the museum is an actual architect where the film was actually, uh, the show was actually filmed at, and it's in Budapest. The museum is in Budapest. But it, when they edited it through the, before they did final prepping, they changed it to look like the museum in the UK or England. So the museum that we're in isn't actually the Museum of London. It's the Museum of Budapest. I don't know the actual name. I just know that we filmed in Budapest and that's the museum they, that they took the architect from. <clears throat> we see our first reflection of the museum or we see the museum through the reflection of a puddle. And this shows us that the puddles in the show are going to be how 
Steven connects, not only connects to his other identities or other personas, but how through Steven's narration of the story, everything we see might not be 100% accurate because Moon Knight is supposed to not take like reference from, but it's supposed to be, um, in theory, Indiana Jones and Fight Club. So in Fight Club, one of the main characters sees his best friend, but his best friend isn't there. His best friend's dead. So he keeps seeing the ghost of his best friend and telling the story. And when at the end of the movie, you actually find out that the person telling the story was the friend telling this and looking and seeing his friend dead because he couldn't cope with it. So us watching or listening to Steven, I think everything we see through Steven's point of view or everything he says, we need to take with a grain of salt because it's not 100% true. Everything you see through that, because it's going to be a reflection of what's going on around him, isn't real. Like, he's there? Maybe. It's happening? Yes. Right now? No. If you can, like, follow what I'm saying there. Now, I thought the next scene was pretty weird and i think a lot of people especially talked about it uh, especially online uh he sees a girl putting gum inside the pyramid and he starts talking to her and he's then he directs her to like the the sarcophagus and he tells her how uh how um they ripped your heart out and all your other organs out except for your heart through your nose that way you can be judged when you got to the afterlife and she says did it did it suck for you being rejected and not allowing to be entered to the the, the 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 field of reeds. And he says, well, that's odd because I'm not dead, am I? And then he says again really quick, am I? Which, so in the comic books, Mark Spector dies and then he is possessed by the deity Conchu. So in theory, we haven't found out what happens in the, like what happens to Mark Spector and how him and Conchu became one. But in theory, he is dead, he died. And maybe, yes, was rejected because Kanchu possessed his body and then Stephen uh, Grant was created. So, in theory, am I? Yes, he is dead. Mark Spector died. And Stephen doesn't know this because Stephen doesn't know what's going on because he doesn't know what's real and what's fake. So, he doesn't know the concept of his death because in his time, he isn't alive or dead because he doesn't know that. That's why he's questioning, like, am I dead? But he doesn't know because he doesn't. He can't tell if he's awake or if he's dreaming, if he's dead, if he's alive, or if this is actually happening right now. All he knows is now this girl had triggered something in his identities or in his mind that is making him now think, overanalyze everything. Um. Then he says to the girl, something wicked is coming, which is a line from Macbeth, which foreshadows um, evil encountering or evil being born within it. So that is a reference to the jackal that we see coming up later in the episode. And then it's also aligned to the, how everybody, or how the episode keeps referring to chaos inside of him, how there's a evil brewing inside of Stephen Grant, but it's not, it might not be him. It can either be Conchu or it can be Mark Spector or another identity. Cause in the comic books, there was three identities. There was Mark Spector. Then you had uh, Stephen Grant, the billionaire. And then you had, Billy, and I forget his last name, who was a cab driver, and then you had a box, um, a boxer identity. So we don't know how many identities per se are in their mind right now, but so far we only know of two. We know of Mark and we know of Steven. 
but it could be a reference to how there's evil brewing inside of him. There's evil inside of him. It's also a reference to how Aunt Macbeth, she says, um, by the prick of my thumb, something wicked this way comes. And she was speaking of Macbeth because they had created the monster inside of Macbeth. And they were speaking of how evil is now present in front of him. So now he's, that line, he's saying, he doesn't know it, but he's basically referring to, there's evil right in front of him. The jackal, Arthur Herer, or something inside of him. Then we get to um, the next scene. And the next scene is Steven talking to his boss. And he picks up boxes full of like stuffed animals. And the, and the animals make out the deity Amet, actually. And the first box he picks up is a box of um, teddy bears. And it's a crocodile. And the next one he picks up is a lion. And the third box he picks up is hippos. And that's the exact order of Amet's form. Crocodile, lion, hippo. Then he speaks about how the sign that they're promoting for the Egyptian um, side of the museum is wrong. Because in real terms, there are nine Inuit deities. And on the pro on poster, they said that it was seven. And the total the total of them is Adam, um, and then his kid, Shu and Tefnut. Then their kids, Geb and Nut. Then their kids, Osiris and Set and Nephthys. And then their kid, and sometimes they also mention Horus, who is their son, or their son. Um, but the picture is wrong because it mentions a uh, deity named Hathor. And Hathor, even though she's important, she's not listed in the main nine of the Inuits. Um, Hathor is the sky goddess, but in the comic books and in Egyptian mythology, she is the one that mates with Khonshu. And when they mate, they enable the ability of creation. So them, them together cause creation. So we can maybe look for her in the future and maybe something was going on between Kanchu and Amet and um, and Hawthor didn't like that and Hawthor betrayed Amet. So now Kanchu's getting revenge. I don't know. Maybe there is a love story behind all this. Maybe it's just in our minds. Um, but I don't know. So then we see, of course, the, the scene I was talking about. Um, Steven talks to the street performer, Crowley. Um, and he's telling him how he's, he doesn't understand what's going on, but he keeps, uh, sleepwalking and how his body feels like it needs to get the 10,000 steps. Excuse me. Um, and then we see that the scene that was just happening was a reflection because the scene pans out and it flips and a leaf lands in the puddle and we stay st stuck in the puddle until the camera pans up to Steven walking away. Everything we just saw in that scene might have been fake. He might have never been talking to Crawley to begin with. He might have just been like sitting there daydreaming or fell asleep. But we don't know if that actually happened because of why? It was through reflection. Now, we get to the scene where he's home. He's trying to stay awake. He's playing with the Rubik's Cube. He's listening to music. He's reading books. He's trying to do... Um, trying to do some stuff and he then we get to a scene where he picks up a book and he says it's it says the Inuit rift the 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 Inuit rift between God and man 
which sets up the uh, which sets up actually is a, a reference to Kanchu and the other nine deities or the other eight deities that might show up in the show and how it's their betrayal or their judgment against humanity like Mark Spector and Stephen Grant of the rift and the war that might be going on now for like because later in the series uh Arthur Hera tells Stephen that someone hit her Amit's avatar betrayed her and killed her or betrayed her and set her up for disaster so we can see that not only is there a rift between humankind and gods but there was also a rift between the gods themselves there was something going on between the gods that caused this that caused the avatar to turn on the, to on their deities um in the back the Right, yeah, in the book, um, in the book as he's reading too, it also displays the list of Inuits in like out of order. It lists Osiris first, and then um, Neph at the bottom. But Osiris wouldn't be at the top because he's at the bottom. He's one of the children of the children. Um, and the book is out of order, which also might set up like Stephen reading this book and him not being able to understand what's going on because he's not a reliable narrator. So what he's seeing in the book is what he might be enveloping himself, what he might be telling himself, because he's trying to figure out what's going on. He tosses the Rubik's Cube up in the air, and then we, he wakes up in a field um, with a dislocated jaw and the Alpine Hill in the Alpine. And the Alpine Hill, that scene was fucked up for me too, like his jaw thing. In um, the Alpine Hill with a scarab beetle in his pocket. Um, Mark is the one when he goes to sleep, woke up, escaped the house somehow, traveled all this way, broke into this castle, stole his beetle, jumped out the window, and when he collapsed and passed the hell out, Mark woke back up. Uh, I mean, Stephen woke back up, and that's where we leave off for him. Um, and then we see that he wakes up, and inside of his head, Conchu um, is speaking to him, and it's played by F. Murray Abraham. And then... The, he looks at the beetles and it's has um hieroglyphs on it and we i think it could either have a message pertaining to something to where to find something or a message of warning but as of recording this today i was watching some videos and they actually deciphered what's on the back of the beetle like actual egyptianologists decipher what's on the back of the beetle uh, in the next um part of this podcast i'll talk about it and i'll look i'll look it up and see what they actually found out and what it actually means um, so we can see if it's either a warning or a sign to something. Then um, the shooters who were chasing him all speak English for some reason, which lets you know that these people aren't native to this land. But because they're because they're part of Arthur Hera's cult, they have taken over their land as their own, creating a community for themselves. Like how other cults do. They just come in and take land and create their community and infect everybody else to join their cult. Thank you.